Today's Bible reading is taken from Proverbs chapter 15, which can be found on page 1006 in your Black Bibles. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings ruin. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not upright. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Stern discipline awaits anyone who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. Death and destruction lie open before the Lord. How much more do human hearts? Mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly brings joy to one who has no sense, but whoever has understanding keeps a straight course. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisers they succeed. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. The path of life leads upward for the prudent to keep them from going down to the realm of the dead. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. The Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, but gracious words are pure in his sight. The greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Light in messengers' eyes brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honour. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything for its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. In their hearts, humans plans their course. Humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps.
Thanks, Georgie. Well, good morning once again. It's lovely to have you here with us. If you're able to get a leaflet when you came in, that'll uh, give you a little bit of an overview as to where I'm going this morning. Uh, there's an outline of my talk in the inside of the leaflet there. <clears throat> well, I wonder, are you a walker? I've been trying to do a little bit more walking of late, and that means I've been walking to work, and I've noticed recently how incredibly beautiful the mornings in Adelaide are at the moment. The air's kind of crisp and a little bit damp at the same time in the morning. There's kind of dew drops hanging from the edge of the branches of the trees. It's lovely. We live in an amazing part of the world, don't we? And yet, despite how beautiful the mornings are at the moment, despite the joy of seeing bright sun in the morning, sometimes life is still hard, even in Adelaide, isn't it? Sometimes life is complicated. I don't say that with any sense of glibness or any sense of sarcasm. Sometimes our lives are just difficult. Things come crashing down around us. I hope that's not your experience at the moment. But perhaps you are today feeling hurt or unwell or disappointed struggling with the frustration of living in a broken world. Perhaps for you today, the the obstacles ahead just seem so daunting, you don't know where to go. I have a question for you. Does being a disciple of Jesus make any difference in that situation? So here at Trinity Church Unley, we have a mission, and that is to make and grow disciples of Jesus. And so a great question to ask is, does being a disciple of Jesus, does following after him help us as we navigate those challenges in life? And if it does, how does that work? I wonder how you'd answer that question. How does Jesus help us to navigate the challenges in life? Here's my big idea for today. If you're only going to listen to one thing I say today, I'd love it to be these next few lines, because this is the big idea for today. I want you to see that Jesus is wisdom fleshed out. And that means if we choose to follow him, that will mean that we also choose the path of the wise. Proverbs helps us to see what that wise path looks like. It reminds us time and time again of how the created world that we live in is ordered and controlled and governed by the one who created it, by God. I want you to be clear, the Bible never tells us that being a disciple of Jesus means that we'll have an easy life. In fact, it's really the other way around. The the biblical account demonstrates that following Jesus comes with hardships and persecution and trouble. It's not that the difficulties in life disappear as a disciple of Jesus, but rather that we're able to continue with those difficulties and perhaps through those difficulties. I like the way that Tremper Longman, who's an Old Testament writer, puts it. He says, The Bible has a word to describe the person who navigates life well. That word is wise. Isn't that a great phrase, navigating life well? Do you know anyone who's able to do that? 
people in your life who you've seen who are navigating life well, that despite all the setbacks they come upon, they seem to be able to kind of walk through that well, navigate it well. You know, I think that's part of the role of Proverbs for us. It helps us to navigate life well, which makes it a really worthwhile book for us to study, don't you think? See, Proverbs is all about finding and choosing God's wisdom. We know that because Proverbs tells us that right at the start in chapter 1. We see there that Proverbs are useful for gaining wisdom, for instruction, for understanding words of insight, for shaping prudent behaviour. It's a serious book to help us navigate our way through life. But as we've seen this morning in the kids' talk... It can also be quite an amusing book and quite a puzzling book at times. Kind of, let me give you an example of this uh, kind of puzzlement or this amusement perhaps as well. On Sunday mornings, I typically like to get up early. I like to get up really early, in fact. It's still cold and dark when I get up. And normally my practice is to stumble out of bed and to hop into the shower and wake up there. Well, two or three weeks ago when I got out of bed, I realised that overnight the flame must have blown out in our hot water system and so the shower was freezing cold. It's only a little dilemma in life, but how are we to navigate around the dilemma of a freezing cold shower at 4am in the morning? Well, I turn to Proverbs, as you do. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 25, verse 25, it says this, Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. I'm not joking, this is what it says. Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Cold water in the shower at 4am is nothing like good news from a distant land. Now it raises a question for us, doesn't it? How are we to read this book? Over the last couple of weeks we've had Matt Lehman here and he's been trying to help us understand the answer to that question. Matt has helped us, I think, to see that Proverbs are not universally applicable or even universally useful. Indeed, we need to apply wisdom to understand Proverbs. And in particular, we need to understand the key to this book, which lies in chapters 1 to 9. If you've been here with us for the last couple of weeks, I hope you're remembering some of that. I hope it's uh, familiar ground for you. Lindsay Wilson, who has written a great commentary on the book of Proverbs, he says this, he says, A proverb is not fully useful unless its hearers or readers has made the fundamental and ongoing choices called for in chapters 1 to 9. So what do chapters 1 to 9 tell us? Do you remember what Matt might have been saying? Well, essentially, they tell us that Proverbs must be interpreted or understood in light of three key messages. And the first of those messages is this. Wisdom starts with a fear of the Lord. Wisdom starts by acknowledging who God is as the all-powerful, almighty creator, the Lord of everything. Wisdom starts by knowing the fear of the Lord. The second thing is that wisdom involves a choice. We're to choose the path of the wise, not the path of the fool. Wisdom involves a choice. And the third thing that we learnt from Matt, as we looked at these chapters 1 to 9 is that choosing wisdom will involve having our characters shaped. 
Matt's argued quite persuasively, I think, that we should have a broad reading of Proverbs. So today we read all of chapter 15 and a bit of chapter 16. So rather than simply just picking the Proverbs that we think are funny or we like, it's probably better for us to read a large portion of Proverbs at one time. And when we do that, and we bring into play those three things we've learnt from chapters 1 to 9, Proverbs will then act like a medicine that will help us develop a healthy fear of the Lord. And for those who embrace wisdom, it'll help its readers to navigate through the enigmas of life, navigate through those puzzles in life. But as we've been reading this book together as a church over the last few weeks, have you at any stage questioned how we are to read Proverbs and interpret them today? How does being a disciple of Jesus make any difference to the way in which we might read Proverbs? It's one of the questions that I've been thinking about over the last few weeks as Matt's been preaching. Uh, I want to let you know that I'm very uh, thankful to a guy called David Jackman, who's a UK preacher. He's helped me think through the answer to this as I've listened to some of his sermons this week. Here's what I think. Proverbs helps us to see that wisdom is a characteristic of God, or indeed, as David puts it, that wisdom is an agent of God, that it's through wisdom that God created the world. You can read about that in Proverbs chapter 8, if you'd like, about how wisdom creates the world or is an agent of God in creation. That's what makes Proverbs so good for us in understanding the ways of the world, because through God's agent wisdom, the world was created. But wisdom's not just an Old Testament idea. It doesn't just belong in the first half of our Bibles. The idea of wisdom is is further developed and further built on. It's given flesh, in fact, embodied in the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Let me show you how that works. We're going to do a little bit of Bible flicking today. I apologise for that. But come with me, please, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It's on page 1,770 of your Bibles. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, on page 1,770. And I'm going to read verses 18 to 24 with you. And I want you to see if you can identify the connection in these verses between wisdom and Jesus. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe." Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Or look over the page, just to verse 30 of chapter 1 that Miff read to us in the kids' talk. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. 
Can you see the connection between wisdom and Jesus? Jesus is, in a sense, God's wisdom fleshed out. Whereas David Jackman puts it, he is the wise man in capital letters. The one wise man. And the connection's not just made in 1 Corinthians. We started off this year looking at Colossians. Come with me to Colossians chapter 2 on page 1830 of your Bibles, 1830. Here in Colossians chapter 2, Paul is speaking about the goal he has for the Laodiceans and he says this in chapter 2 verse 2 of Colossians. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you see, Jesus reveals the mystery of God, all God's wisdom fleshed out in the person of Jesus. Jesus displays those hidden aspects of God's character. He displays what the invisible God looks like. In Jesus, we can have the full riches of complete understanding. In Jesus, we find the ultimate wise man. And today, we're called to be disciples of Jesus, to be disciples of the one true wise man, to follow in his footsteps. You might like to keep looking at Colossians. Remember those great verses that we looked at in so much detail earlier in the year, verse 6 and 7 of chapter 2, where it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Or remember we said, continue to walk in His footsteps, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You see the connection then between being a disciple of Jesus... And choosing the wise path that Proverbs asks us to choose. Because if we see that connection, then I think we'll read Proverbs not simply as a book of interesting observations about how the world works or kind of amusing reflections about what God is like, but we'll see it as a book that helps us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We'll see it as a book that's designed to shape our characters, helping us to look more like the Lord that we follow, to look more like Jesus. That'll mean this book will make us better parents, more faithful workers, more confident of our position in this world. It'll encourage us to be useful members of our community in which we live. One of the ways that Proverbs does this, one of the key ways in which it helps us to do this, is it reminds us time and time again that God is providentially in control, both of our lives and of the world. It reminds us that as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we follow a God who has all things in his hands. Come with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 16. We've been flicking all over the place, but we're finally going to land in Proverbs now. Um, It's on page 1008, Proverbs chapter 16. And as you're turning there, I want you to see how wisdom reminds us that the Lord is ultimately in control. I'm going to read from chapter 16, verse 1 on page 1008. To humans belong the plans of the heart, 
But from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked, for a day of disaster. Verse 1 suggests we have some kind of freedom in this life, doesn't it? To make plans, to scheme, to dream, to wonder what the future will hold. But ultimately, it is the Lord who determines exactly what will happen. Derek Kidner, who's another Old Testament writer, he puts it this way, he says, despite all our freedoms in this life, at the end of the day, it's only God's plans that advance. Well, here in verse 1, the emphasis is kind of on the words that are actually spoken, that in some way God provides the words that we speak. Do you think of any examples of when that might happen? We see an extreme case in Mark chapter 13. In that passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the persecution they might one day face. And he says this, he says, Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what you'll say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty extreme example of the, uh, the Spirit speaking through us, or God giving people words to say. But I imagine that for each one of you, at some stage in your life, you'll be able to look back and wonder, was that really me who said that? Where did those words come from? Proverbs says, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. I want you to remember here that Proverbs are, are not to be universally applied, so perhaps those hateful or spiteful words that you spoke in anger last week, it might be a stretch to say in some sense that they were words given by God. The wise person will see that. But they'll also see that although we might plan what we say, somehow God uses those words for his own ends. That's probably a good thing because despite us thinking so often that we're on the right track in life, Sometimes we fail to see that we really have impure motives. Proverbs tells us that ultimately it is God who determines and weighs the motives of our hearts. That's the message, I think, of verse 2. It's human nature, isn't it, to think we're right, to think we have the correct approach to things. So often our ways seem pure to us, don't they? Proverbs tells us it's only God who knows the true motives of our hearts because he weighs our motives. I don't know about you, but I I hate scales. That's normally because scales remind me that I've, again, eaten too much. But here the ideas of having our motives weighed, that's even more scary, isn't it, than the bathroom scales. And if it calls to mind that passage in Daniel, you have been weighed and found wanting. And so how good at the same time then to be a disciple of Jesus, the wise man, because he knows the motives of our hearts and yet he still loves us enough that he died for us. Remember back in that passage we read in Corinthians, he's become for us our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption by his death on the cross despite knowing the motives of our hearts. And as he does that, he's shaping us to be more like him. 
Well, let's go on. Verse 3 of chapter 16, I think, is intended to be a, a great comfort to us. Those who are wise, it says, will commit to the Lord whatever it is they do, and He will establish their plans. Again, I preface this by saying Proverbs are not always applicable. God may not establish your plans to play soccer for France one day or to be the captain of the Australian cricket team. But here's the encouragement for us. If you are wise, you will commit your plans to the Lord. Derek Gidner has this really helpful thing he says here. He says that word commit, it's kind of the same word as roll. So he says what it's saying here is we are to roll our plans onto the lap of God, knowing that there they will be firm with Him. Isn't that a great comfort? Roll your concerns onto the lap of God. See, those that follow after Jesus, those who take the path of wisdom, will bring to God, who has the whole world in His hands, our plans and our dreams and our ideas. That's part, I think, of what it means to navigate successfully through the world in which we live. I've been struck by this over the last few days. Encouraged to roll our plans, roll our concerns onto God, to bring them to Him. As one of the commentators says, in a way then, our concerns become His concerns. Commit to the Lord, whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. I wonder how you're going at that, bringing your plans before the Creator of the universe. John Calvin, one of the great reformers, describes our action of prayer as reaching up into the storehouses of heaven. So he describes prayer. Wonderful thing that we can do. Roll our concerns into the lap of the Father through prayer. You know, I think it's so important. I want to give you just a minute in quietness because I'm sure all of us have concerns or plans or worries at the moment that I'd like you to roll onto God. So I'm going to stop talking for 30 seconds or so and I want to give you a chance to roll your thoughts, your concerns, your plans onto the lap of the Father by praying to Him. Well, we have a God who hears our prayers. Isn't that a great thing? And having rolled our plans onto the lap of the Lord who governs the entire universe, see in verse 4 that the Lord works out everything to its proper end. That's because He's God and that's what He does. The wise know this. Those who, who follow in His footsteps know that uh, He has all things worked out that the wicked will be dealt with, but also that sin has been atoned for, that God ultimately has called us as disciples of Jesus to share in His heavenly family, because He's the one in control. And just in case you've missed this point, have a look for it again at verse 9, where it says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. See, we're to bring our plans, our dreams, our desires to God, knowing that He is the one in control. I hope that's a great encouragement for you. Keep rolling your concerns, your plans onto the lap of the Father. Well, today I've been arguing that choosing the path of wisdom is the same kind of thing as choosing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We've seen in the past few weeks that 
following wisdom involves having our character shaped, making us wiser, essentially making us more like Jesus. I've listed in your leaflet there a verse you might like to look up later, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You might like to have a look at the role of the Spirit in bringing about our transformation. But in just the remaining couple of minutes that I have with you today, I'd like to show you three things from chapter 15 that go towards shaping our character to be more like Jesus. Those things, three things that are to do with our speech, our heart, and finally, our ability to be corrected. We've not long finished looking at the book of James as a church. Many people say that James must have written his letter with the scroll of Proverbs open in front of him and the uh, scroll of uh, the Sermon on the Mount also in front of him. Remember James had so much to say about how we speak? Well, it's a great big theme in Proverbs as well. Come with me to chapter 15, so uh, the page previously to where we were before. And I think you'll be able to see in the first seven verses there a big emphasis on the way we use our words. Let me read a few of those verses. It says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. And again in verse 4, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. There's no doubt, is there, that choosing the path of wisdom involves checking what we say. It involves giving gentle answers that turn away wrath. It involves speaking soothing words of truth that come from the tree of life. I wonder today if speech is one of those aspects of your life that you need to shape a little bit. How are you going at using your words to encourage and build up others? Verses 8 to 15, there's kind of a change in focus, I think, in in chapter 15. The focus is not so much on our speech, but rather on our heart. And I think what they mean by heart is it's on our attitudes and our thoughts. I reckon that this is so often one of the last things to be shaped to be more like Jesus, isn't it? So you can't pretend to have more Jesus-like thoughts or more Jesus-like attitudes. You've either got them or you don't. Let me just read these Proverbs to you. Uh, I think this is verse 13. A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. Verse 15. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. A happy attitude, discerning thoughts and cheerfulness are being encouraged, aren't they here? I wonder how your attitude is going. Does it need to be shaped by Jesus? Finally, I want to have a, a very quick look at verses 31 and 32. Let me read those to you. It says, Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Well, these verses are all about being able to be corrected, aren't they? Being teachable is so important in becoming wise. I wonder how you go about receiving correction. Are you good at receiving correction? Certainly there are good ways and bad ways to give feedback or to give correction, aren't there? I've been thinking about this quite a bit in our office. How do we give and receive feedback about how we're doing? There are good ways and bad ways of doing it. Proverbs wants us to see 
that receiving correction is an important part in becoming more like Jesus. How do you go at receiving correction? It's a good thing to work on. Well, as a church, we're all about making and growing disciples of Jesus. That means that we're all about being shaped by wisdom to become more like Jesus. The benefits to that are many, aren't they? They're laid out for us in the book of Proverbs. Part of that means that as we're shaped to be more like Jesus, we'll also be able to navigate this life well. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this book of Proverbs. We thank you for the way in which it points us on the wise path in life. Please help us to be more like Jesus. Please help us to grow into his likeness. Please help us to do that for your glory and so that your name will be praised. Amen.